Stand with me, if you will. Everybody say the grip of grace. Matthew 4, 19, Jesus said to them, come follow me and I will make you a different kind of fisherman. You will bring in people, not fish. Everyone say, I'm called to fish for men. I'm not talking to the young ladies. That's not what we're talking about. But Jesus is talking about fishing for souls. Amen. Matthew 11, 28, 29, uh, the scripture says, come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I just want to say this uh, before I move on. Is it basically there's two come to Jesus scriptures there? You ever heard the phrase, uh, they need to come to Jesus moment? How many ever heard that phrase? How many said that phrase? I'll tell you what they need is a come to Jesus moment. Really what you mean is a come to me moment. I'm going to work them out. We usually, when we say that, think of kind of a come to the principal's office moment. And perhaps uh, that could be an application. Have you ever come to Jesus and it was a principal office moment? Right? Occasionally he'll do that. But I think it's interesting these two come to me scriptures. One is, come to me and I'll show you how to reach people that I love. The second one is, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And I'm going to kind of play on some themes here today. But I think that the calling to our calling is often um, partially developed because we come for God to teach us how to do what we're called to do. But perhaps we haven't come to learn his ways, one of which is his peace and his rest. And so that God never intends for me to live stressed in the call of God. He never intends for me to so hate this pursuit of the purpose that he has for my life or even people that he might call me to reach because I'm anxious and stressed out and I haven't found rest. Everyone say God calls us to a place of purposeful rest. Matthew chapter 14, 22 through 33, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side. While he sent the multitudes away, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, everybody say, that's the hours before the sun comes up. I was sitting back there um, in between services, and, and my mom, who tries to tell me all the time how I can better my sermons, did say, uh, she said, if you look all through the scripture, there is... Uh, over and over refer references concerning the fourth watch. Jesus rose from the dead in the fourth watch. Jesus came to them in the midst of the storm in the fourth watch. It's those hours just before the dawn. Metaphorically, it speaks to us as this. How many feel like you're in a fourth watch in your life right now? Man, you are worn out. It has been dark. You can't see the light. You don't know which way to go. Can I tell you that your most significant transactions and experiences with God can happen in your darkest hours? How many believe that today? And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. And some said, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. It's I do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those who were in the boat came and worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son 
of God. One more scripture, Hebrews chapter 4, 9 through 10. Therefore, there remains a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest, God's rest, has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. Lord, we pray that your anointing would rest upon the preaching and the teaching of your word. It is your word received that changes us, transforms us, grows into faith, makes us who you've called us to be. And so we receive that word in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. You can be seated. You ever won an ugly uh, sweater comp, sw- sweater contest and you weren't even trying to be in the contest? I haven't. I was just wondering if anyone else has wardrobe struggles. Anyways, I, I write down a few thoughts and I really have no intention of just preaching a, a message here. I just want to kind of share out of my heart today. We, we talked from this passage a little bit last week um, about Peter walking on water, and I, I was thinking about what we should do today, and I felt like God said, go back and finish the rest of the story on the rest of the story. Um, but I'm going to read some things that I've written down, and we'll see where it goes. Is that okay? No? Nobody? 20%, 10%? Everybody okay with that? Does it really matter if you are or not? I'm just kidding. All right. Uh, walking with Jesus involves establishing a consistent walk of faith where we allow the Spirit to live through us in the everyday, often tedious circumstances of life. How many of you believe that statement? I think it's important to lead with that statement because we're going to talk about miracles and we're going to talk about stepping out in faith. But if we're not careful as Pentecostal charismatic folks that major on miracles and major on movements and major on God bailing us out with miracles, which thank God for that. Amen? Then we can develop, if we are not careful, an unhealthy dependence on the bailout God rather than the God that wants to walk with us and teach us to live consistently every day in the important things over time. Now, how many of you are thankful for the bailout God? Because you still have some things you need bailed out from. But I just want to throw this in at the beginning because I think that often we will rely on miracles if we are not careful uh, to relieve us from the pressure of things we should have let God sanctify us from years ago. Yeah, you usually don't get many amens on these messages. (laughs) And again, not, not the totality of what I want to discuss today. I just think that it's important because part of what my job is and part of what we do here on Sundays, how many of you know this isn't your Christian life? This is like where we equip and experience God to prepare us for the mission that is our everyday going to work, taking care of kids, dealing with crazy people, being the crazy person, whatever you want to fill in life. And Again, as as we enter into that, I think I am stronger to move in the miraculous when I let God build the kind of peace in my life that he can speak to me about the everyday things. That being said, let's go to the next slide. 
Walking with Jesus also involves unexpected invitations from ghosts. Where we experience strange stirrings to do seemingly crazy, impossible things. So look back at the text here and we'll kind of read this because I want to draw your attention to the text. Next slide. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. Do you really think Jesus said it like that? That's like the English Jesus. That's the British Jesus. Uh, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And then he said, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, or Lord, if it is you, command me to come. Somebody says, do not quit your day job. Do not quit your day job. I was actually at an office party this week um, at the Funny Bone. I tried to make a joke to the waitress, and she said to me, don't quit your day job. <laughs> it's a tough crowd. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So the setup is this. Uh, you know, they've been seeing Jesus do miracles, doing awesome, powerful things. It's the end of the day. Jesus says, go across the lake onto the other side. They get into the boats. They start to go over. They are rowing against tough waters. Jesus has been praying. Jesus comes and he starts to walk on water. They look out and they see Jesus in the fourth hour of the night, right? The fourth hour of the watch, just before dawn. And isn't it interesting that the people that should know him don't? The people that should recognize Jesus that have walked with him, stayed in the same place. I mean, they've been, you know, hitting Marriott's together, you know, the hotels together. They've been on the circuit. They do not recognize him in this moment because this is a way that Jesus is moving. They've never seen him move before. And if there is a hindrance to religion, and how many know there can be Pentecostal religion, charismatic religion, Baptist religion, whatever you want to call it, religion is the idea that, you know, God can move, but only to the way I've seen him move in the past. But have you lived long enough with Jesus to realize that he will often come to you in ways that you are not used to seeing him come? And so here in the middle of the night, he comes. They are worn out. They look. They can't quite see him. Their minds immediately interpret what they see as a ghost, something fearful. Jesus says, hey, it's okay. It's just me. Be, you know, be of good cheer. It's just, it's me. Tally-ho. It's fine. We'll have some tea and crumpets when I get on the boat, you know. So he's trying to make a connection. In the middle of this, one guy gets this breakthrough, Peter, right? Peter looks up and he says, all right, so I kind of believe that. How many of you find your favorite scripture is, I believe, help my unbelief? I mean, isn't that true? Most believers are in a condition. Listen, I kind of believe that Jesus. I'm not sure about this Jesus. That's where most of us live. See, I want to talk to people today that are ready to put Instagram spirituality aside. Because if we are not careful, our social media society has stressed a fact. And I'm not saying, listen, oh, he's going to preach on Instagram. He's going to preach it. We should get rid No, keep your Instagrams. I'm talking about the mentality I mean, my, my MySpace is doing personally very well. I invite you to. <laughs> the 
So what is Instagram meant? Instagram spirituality is the kind of spirituality where, you know, I kind of referenced this last week. So you might have a situation where you got a grandkid and you both got Buckeye gear on and you have the great idea. This would look great for us to get excited for the game. And you take the picture and in the moment you've got him smiling. But before that moment and after that moment, it was not what it looks like. Because you know what goes on before the picture. Put it up. We got five seconds. Take it, take it, take it, take a few. Smile, laugh, do something. And you get that one moment, but after the fact, he's screaming, yelling. He's not saying, go Bucks. He's saying, let me down, Papa. But isn't, the way that, isn't that the way we develop our testimonies? Because again, if we are not careful, when I first started preaching, man, I thought I had to get testimonies because I heard guys preaching that had great miracles. But in most of those stories, they were the hero of the story. I laid my hands on somebody. Someone raised up from the dead. I I saw all these great things, and, and those were powerful, and those were awesome. But I found that life was lived in between the miraculous. And that sometimes I would pray for someone, and there would be a miracle only to find out that they died later. Or sickness came back. And early on, I kind of labored on this idea that if we are to have an image before others, it has to be a perfect image. I found out that God wants to give us the kind of authentic Christianity where we can learn to find him in the midst of the successes, but also the failures. Oh, we're going to talk today. Peter looks up and he says... Jesus, if that is you, command me to come to you on the water. Kind of a strange thing to say, isn't it? Would that be the way that you would vet to see whether this is God or an actual ghost from a haunted house on the water in front of you? I'm not sure what that is. If it's you, Jesus, then tell me to walk on the water. Are you kidding me? I would want to sit back in the boat and say, hey, light up the sky, write your name in the sky, let angels appear, let me say, yes, this is actually Jesus. He says, let me know by your word. And I don't want to preach this, but I want to give this to you by way of introduction. I'm just going to say, I throw this out, we vet the integrity of our stirrings, no matter how strong, by asking God to put a word on it. I can't tell you how many times in my life that I have messed up because I had a stirring, but I had not yet received a word. In fact, I find that many times God will stir me to things that he hasn't spoken concerning a word yet. There is no faith in a stirring. There is only faith in a word. The scripture says in uh, Matthew 14, 20, Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come onto the water. And Jesus said, come. We invent the integrity of our stirrings no matter how strong because by asking God to put a word on it because the spirit and the word always agree. First John 5, 7, further 3, the bear witness in heaven, the Father, the word, and the Holy Spirit. And then the only way that we can walk on water is to walk on a word. How many of you realize Peter didn't walk on water? He walked on a word. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, by faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God. Everything that we see was created by a word. God in the beginning had faith in his word spoke that word and it created things supernaturally and then Romans 10 17 so then faith comes by not by stirrings but by hearing and hearing by the word of God which is why Peter said if this is really you speak to me because I will know that it is you because your word does something on the inside of my spirit that the word of a friend or a spouse or or, or a spirit will never do his word will create a faith so God so Peter 
Peter said this, if it's you, talk to me. We vet the stirrings of God by asking for a word. When it comes to the adventures of faith like Peter, we often start well. And we often celebrate the stories of those who do. But I'm going to give you my uh, thoughts this morning. And this has really been rolling around in my spirit. Next slide. At this point in my life, I'm increasingly more interested in how to navigate mid-story plot twist. Where faith journeys are not merely started, but sustained. How many of you can think back to situations in your life where you had a stirring and you got a word and you stepped out on the boat only to find that there was a mid-story plot twist that caused you to sink? How many? A few? Just, just, this is my therapy session. Am I the only one, Jesus? <laughs> and so I, I think constructively we can look at that a number of ways. Number one, we can kind of just look at it and try to avoid them. Or we can say, Jesus, what needs to happen in me to sustain the things you want to occur in my life? The thing about winds and waves, wind represents resistance. Waves represent unexpected circumstances. Right? He didn't just walk straight on water. He, he had to walk on waves. Can you see Peter walking? And man, he's just trying to navigate this thing. And somewhere in the middle of what he didn't expect it to be like, he lost focus of Jesus and started looking at feet when he should have kept his focus firm. And isn't that the way life works? How many of you love starting things? I'm not so sure about finishing things, unless they're Oreos <laughs> or Chipotle or hamburgers or French fries. <laughs> She's, you can tell he's been fasting. All you do when you fast is think about what you're going to eat after the fast. So I'm like interested, you know, here with this beautiful person right here that always will help you out of a law in a message. If you just get her up and say, hey, clap your hand. Look at her. She's great. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we got like, what, 25, 25 years in? Mm -hmm. uh, tw 26 years ago, we met at the Applebee's. And we started well. You always have hits and bumps and bruises. We'll have some hits and bumps and bruises. You know why? Because waves are unpredictable. See, like the concept of marriage is awesome. But when you step out of the boat into it, not for me, for her. You follow what I'm saying? She says, very smart, very smart. Is having you found that waves, some are high, some are low. And what happens often is we have a faith to start. But we're not sure what to do when we sink. And I want to talk to you about sinking today. Because I think we've heard a thousand messages on how to get out of the boat. We're just not quite sure how to get back there. Y'all ready? Somebody say amen. 
Not the greatest title I've ever came up with, but Those in the back that doesn't say stink, it says lessons from the sink. So I was talking about this last week, and then it occurred to me as I was talking about it, Anthony. The intriguing part of the story is what happened after he sunk. Most of the time when, you know, we get up and I do this thing. One is we are... Uh, where my glasses go. One is we are so concerned often about what you all think that it can interfere with what God wants to say. And I vowed I will never do that. But the other thing is we're such in a hurry to encourage people that we often encourage on the surface and God can never get down to roots. But the root work is the work that matters. When I started uh, back to school, I did this business. I, had, I went for business, Bachelor of Business Administration. The first thing we did in the first class is they gave us a test over everything that we were going to study. And I'm thinking, well, you're giving us a test at the beginning. We haven't studied or been taught the information yet. But the purpose of that test was not promotion. The purpose of that test was assessment. So I just wonder when I read this story about Peter walking on water, I heard the Holy Spirit ask me before the first service back there, he said, what do you think most people would give as a grade to Peter in this moment? And then I felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit to say, most believers would give him a C. Because he walked for a little bit and then he failed. But I felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit to say, I would give him an A+. Because the purpose of my course was not that he would perform spectacularly at the beginning. That was an assessment test. You know what the assessment test does? It does two things. Number one, it lets the instructors know where there's going to be gaps in information so they can prepare their teaching accordingly. Secondly, it lets the students know where they need to begin to open up their minds to learn. An assessment test. Many of the tests in our life that we have interpreted as test of promotion are actually tests of assessment at the beginning of the course. Listen, sometimes God's got to test you before he can teach you. Because if he doesn't test us, we don't even know what we need to be taught. And I just wonder if it was the will of God to call Peter out into a situation where he would fail. In other words, did Jesus know that Peter would walk out and sink? Theological answer is yes. Under the theological understanding of omnipotence and omniscience, he knew all things, so certainly he knew. Right. I mean, we hear these things all the time. I've said them before. Have you ever judged a season in your life because you look back and you sunk in it and you said something to the effect of that must not have been God? I just wonder if we're looking for fruit before the fruit has had time to mature. And I want to suggest in our sinking seasons that sinking seasons are a part of the development, not a reason for us to fail ourselves before the class is over. 
I'm looking for some amens because I know I'm preaching better than your amen. And somebody say amen. amen. Lessons from the sink. Number one is this. Failure is often part of the breakdown necessary for your breakthrough. We preach on breakthrough all the time. God's going to do this. God's going to break you through. But I wonder if sometimes we have preached on the finish, about the finish line. We have not even talked about the process to get there. There's a, an individual that many of us are familiar with, lost a job in 1832, defeated for the legislator 1832, failed in business 1833, elected to the legislature 1834, his sweetheart Ann Rutledge died in 1835, had a nervous breakdown 1836, defeated for speaker 1838, defeated for nomination for Congress 1843, elected to Congress 1846, lost renomination 1848, rejected for land officer 1849, defeated for the Senate 1854, defeated for nomination for vice president 1856, and again defeated for the Senate, Senate 1858, and everyone in this room knows who he is. Next slide. Abraham Lincoln, president of the United States 1860. My point is is this. If you were to judge the path of his life by what he had sunk in, every single one of us would have said he has no business in politics because every time he stepped out, he began to sink. Could it be rather that his sinking was necessary to form the kind of character that was bigger than just a senator or a congressman? It was bigger than that. It was to prepare not just a president, but one of the most transformational figures in the history of America that, listen, would not just need to know how to be successful, but how to rise out of failures, failures and deal with areas that they sunk in. I want to encourage somebody here today. The first lesson of your sinking is this. Realize that your failures are part of the equation for God to begin to build you into what is needed beyond your walk on water in the moment. Somebody say amen. Failure is overrated for the wrong reasons and underrated for the right ones. Often we don't even step out of boats. You know why? Because we have placed a fear of failure at such a high level in our life. We overrate it. But failure, properly understood, is just part of the process. It's an assessment test. The fact that you failed doesn't mean that you are a failure. It just means you're at the beginning of the class. All right, I got to hurry. I got to hurry. Where my glasses go? Anybody know? Can anybody see them? Because I can't. All right, here they are. See, because I'm going to tell you all this. I, I am an expert at home renovation. Y'all didn't know that about me. Uh, I, I have lots of training. Uh, I do two or three hours a day sometimes on HGTV. I understand the process. If you question, you know, my, my abilities, I'm going to say two words to you, Chip and Joanna. That's, that's how I work. But if you ever watch, watch their show, what you find is this, is they'll show you this horrible home nobody wants to live in. And then they will get you to the final product, Right? And everybody's like thinking at that time, we got to change our kitchen. <laughs> we got the wrong flooring. Right? That's what we do. But do you know the process of restoration begins with a demo? And I think many times we're saying, God, I want to get to where you're calling me to be. But we don't let him demo us. 
We'd like for him to come and put old flooring, new flooring on top of the old flooring. We'd like for him to fix the things that are there. But can I tell you, many times before I can get a breakthrough, there's got to be a breakdown. God's got to lift off the old ways of thinking. He's got to deal with the things in my life. Old anxieties, old worries, old, old bitterness. Whatever it is that is killing us, many times God will allow us to sink to do what? Cause to come to the surface very rapidly. The very thing that is keeping us out of what God has next. But I don't know about you. I've just determined, God, come and demo me before I get into this season. Because I'm not looking to take an old me into a new season or old baggage into a new place. I'm saying, God, come and let there be a breakdown. Let there be a breaking off of everything in my inner man that's not right so I can enter with a breakthrough power and spirit in this next season so God can have his way. Somebody give God praise if you believe it. Come on, use the example again. Listen, I found early on that the best way for, me, for us to move forward in this marriage is for me to take the posture, God, don't fix her, fix me. Right. And Bren would probably say the same thing. The best way to fix a marriage, fix him, don't fix me. No, I'm just kidding. She'd say, fix me. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah. We undervalue the process of Holy Spirit conviction and repentance. Because we are so addicted often to the miracles that we bypass the greatest miracle, which is God actually working the heart of Jesus into me. Man, I don't want a revival where we've got hundreds and thousands of miracles, but I don't know how to find peace in my heart at home. It doesn't mean anything if the anointing is strong in a room, but I'm struck in fear and living in secret sins that are not broken in my life. Does anybody hear what I'm talking about today? I'm telling you the mark of revival truly is not that someone walks out of a wheelchair. Thank God for that. We are going to see that. But the true mark of revival is this. Can a very strong, unrepentant man man, be broken at an altar and go back and ask for forgiveness and change the way he's living and change the way he talks to those nearest anybody else hungry for a breakdown so we can have a true breakthrough of the Holy Ghost power of God in our culture. (sighs) Why the sinking? Because Peter's faith is a mixture. (sighs) It's I beg it five or ten minutes. They're like, I, I'm not sure. Why do I believe his faith's a mixture, Jim? Because he only walked a little bit. And Jesus said, where's your faith? I think Peter's faith to walk on water is a little bit of God. And it's a little bit of Peter. Let me give these to you, and then, and then we'll bring it to you. I, just, I don't have time, but I want to throw this out to you. When you sink, don't try to swim back to the boat, but look for the grip of grace. Many of us miss the moment in a sinking season because we fail to discern, number one, that it's God trying to work something of dependence in me. 
And because we don't realize what he's doing, we are so ashamed of the failure that we try to swim back to the boat. But Peter didn't swim back. He looked for a grip of grace. The Bible says he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus grabbed his hand. Number three, ghost moments awaken our faith to walk, but it is sinking moments that deepen our faith to rest. Peter was called out to walk to Jesus. But when he failed, there was an invitation to rest in Jesus. Which is why when Peter left the boat, he walked to Jesus. But after the sinking, he walked with Jesus. And they notice that in the text. If you call me out there, I'll come. Jesus said, come. He walks to Jesus and sinks. Jesus grabs him, and now, after the sinking, he's not walking to Jesus anymore. He's walking with Jesus. Again, could it be that our sinking, our perceived failures in the moment, are actually the most critical part of the equation for what God has called us to do next? Peter would never walk on water again. Literally. But he will walk on water hundreds of times figuratively. Where God will stretch him in the interest of the expansion of his kingdom for people. To once again walk out on things others have sunk in. And I wonder if in this moment, Anthony, what God, what Jesus is doing, school's in session. You know, none of us go to college just to go to college. College prepares you for the career afterwards. This was a course in session that wasn't about the water. It was about the mission he would fulfill after the moment. And I believe what he's teaching him is this. You can have a faith to walk to me, but I want to give you something greater than a faith to walk to me. I want you to find, know that you can find me when you are grasping for air wherever you are in life. I want you to know that even if you do sink, it doesn't mean that you didn't hear my voice when you left the boat. All it means is you got in over your head, but I am there to give you the greatest gift that I could ever give to anyone once again to pull you up with the grip of grace. And when God ever pulls you up out of a season of sinking. Here's the greatest blessing. He never says, go back to the boat and walk to me again. Jesus says, why don't you hold on to my hand and let me walk with you back to the boat. Somebody say amen. Anybody else, listen, I don't know if anybody else is getting anything out of this today, but I, I was going to preach myself happy if I have to, to know this, that listen, there are no wasted seasons in my life. We tend to look back at the seasons in our life that were struggles, and we want to lock them away in the corridors of our mind. 
We hope no one ever finds out about that season or that failure because it doesn't look good in the calculus of our Instagram spirituality where we only want to put the the best things forward. We don't even want to look at them ourselves. We want to somehow call those wasted seasons and wasted years. But can I tell you, when you come to Jesus, not only does he restore the years, he will redeem the time. He has the ability to go back and say, I know you thought that sinking season was just a wasted time in your life, but that's the time when you found something in your compassion that you never would have learned had you not stepped out of the boat, had you not failed there. I know you look back and you think that disqualifies you from ever becoming what I've called you to be, but in fact, that's the very thing that qualifies you to step out now and move with power because not only do you understand what it is to step out and walk to God, you found what it is in the midst of your lowest moments to reach up and say, God, save me again and again and again and again. And now you're not just walking to me, you're walking with me wherever I want you to go. There's a greater power on your life because you found the grip of grace. I want faith to walk, but I want a faith to rest. I have found the strongest people of faith that I ever meet in my life are sometimes, I was going to say this, the greatest sinners. We are all the greatest sinners. It's just the ones that recognized what they got saved from. (sighs) Two thoughts. The depth of our faith is personal to Jesus. And when it breaks down, he's not just concerned that it broke down, but why? He lifts him out, and then he says something. Lifts him out, grabs his hand, and then he says, go go to the next scripture. I want you to see this part of the scripture. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith. That could be translated short bursts. And then he says, why did you doubt? Do you know that God never asks questions to get information? He's not a sleuth reporter. Well, I'm not sure why you sing. God knows why we sing. He's asking questions for our information. What I see here is God is not just concerned that we sing, but in the saving, he's wanting to get us to realize what were the roots that caused you to look away from me? Was it the fear of the rejection of the people in the boat that you thought would you'd look stupid before? Peter, you were anxious to come out because part of me was stirring you. Could it also have been you're always wanting to be the first that comes out? So there was a little bit of ego mixed into it. You wanted to be the guy that walked around. Is that why you had little faith? Because you got a little faith in me and a whole lot of faith in Peter? God, in a season of closeness, starts to deal with the roots that hinder our trust. I have determined this, not only for this season, but for my life. I am not living in the levels of stress I used to because trust can replace that stress. It is not the will of God for us to be anxious 
about walking on water. When I walk with Jesus after sinking, he will always lead me back to the boat. Because the grace I receive in the sinking is way too big for my story. Do you notice in the passage what Jesus didn't do? Let's come up with, because again, you're, I can ask for forgiveness later if you're embarrassed by any of this. Anyways, Jesus pulls Peter out of the water. What he didn't do was just keep Peter walking on the water. Did you check out where he took him? Back to the boat. Because the reason why God will allow the sinking and work the restoration is to show us a grace that is bigger than us. Peter will have a cycle in his ministry of walking on water and sinking. Before the crucifixion, Jesus starts talking about the crucifixion. Peter says, hey, look, I don't know what these jerks are going to do, these losers, but I know this. Nobody's as loyal as me. If they deny you, I won't. Jesus said before the night, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times, sinking. But you know what he also said? I want you to see this. He said, after this, when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. Because the purpose that flows from our sinking is not regret for the sinking. It's to find grace to strengthen somebody in the midst of the storm in the boat. And I don't know who this is for today, but I want to say this very, very strong. Every part of your story matters. Perhaps the biggest part that matters are the places where you needed the biggest grace. Because what God wants to do in that season when you come out of it is, listen, what he showed you in grace is too big for your life. It's too big for your story. It's too big just for your worship. It has been given so you can go forward and find somebody to strengthen with the grace that strengthened you. Am I talking to anybody in here today? I think it's very, very powerful that when Jesus pulled him up, he said, now we're going to walk together and we're going to do something supernatural, but we are taking this walk back to the place where there were fearful men, where, where the people saw you fail, but in the end of this thing, and did you notice when they got into the boat, something happened. The wind ceased when they got into the boat. I'm telling you, there's some wind that's going to cease concerning the adversity of the lives of people. If we would wake up to the fact that God has put within us stories and testimonies of the grace of God, that if we'd say, God, show me who I need to encourage, it has the power to break the attack of the enemy in the life of everyone we're called to encourage. Somebody give God praise if you believe that today. And I'll throw this last point in here and we'll let you go. Last point is this. Sinkers often make the best resters and resters often make the best fishers. You ever fished with a five-year-old? What's the first thing you said to that five-year-old? Hush. 
because noise scares the fish. I wonder if we're scaring the fish. No, seriously, I wonder if we are scaring the fish because we are so restless. We are so anxious. We are so fearful that there's a noise that is coming. And I'm just going to preach this prophetically, and I know I'm right at the end, but I'm going to say the, the body of Christ in America is most powerful when we are not fighting out of the flesh, but when we are finding a place of God in the Spirit where we're walking out of our weakness, we're walking in deliverance, we're finding that place in God to where there is a true peace of God that the fish are are drawn to. You want to see a generation come to God? Let's find the peace of God. Let's let God uproot the things within us that are taking our joy, taking our sleep, coming and cutting the axe at our mission because resters in God make the best fishers every time. How many believe that today? Come on, somebody give God praise if you believe that. I said, let me, let me put the word on it. We'll let you go. All right, watch this, watch this. Matthew 4, 19. Jesus said to them, come follow me and I will make you what? Not just fishermen, a different kind of fishers. But he followed up that come to me with what? The next one. Come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you. I wonder if this whole idea of rest is so important because it is greater than our peace of mind. I think it could be the key to breaking open a generation. Because, man, when I'm at rest, I hear the voice of God. And I find him in the midst of the sinking. I didn't make anything out of this today. Let's stand with me, if you will. Stand with me, if you will. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.